0: Dreams can sometimes seem so real that they feel more like lived spiritual experiences than simply symbolic fantasy. How can you tell the difference? For Swedenborg, it was a gradual realization that the grove of fig trees he kept seeing in his dreams wasn't only a metaphor for his writing, but the actual view from what would become his new spiritual home. Here we are, Inside Off the Left Eye. Stick around for my exclusive interview with Curtis Childs, director of Off the Left Eye, where we discuss spiritual tools that really work. Next, Dr. Jonathan Rose, series editor for the New Century Edition translation of the theological works of Emanuel Swedenborg, recounts the nature of the marketing and distribution strategy Swedenborg employed. Then we travel to 1744 and see, across the way from a grove of figs, the gable end of a beautiful palace where Swedenborg would take up spiritual residence this week in history. Hey, Curtis Childs, welcome. Hey, what's going on? You know, I am glad to be here this week with you inside Off the Left Eye to get to talk about this exploration of near-death experiences that we're in the middle of. So last week's, this week's show, like the week that people have just gotten to see, was our show, Howard Storm, Jeff Olson, Trisha Barker, and Swedenborg, Lessons from Near-Death Experiences. Yes, And and that show, people, if you haven't seen it yet, if you're just hearing this now, you can watch it on the Off the Left Eye YouTube channel, um, or of course, listen to it as a podcast on the Swedenborg and Life podcast channel. And uh, I loved hearing what all of those people had to say, and I loved how it all can fit together in uh, with what Swedenborg says about how the spiritual world works. I mean, it's just it's such a cool confirmation and and it's inspiring. And all of the people we interviewed were just so down to earth, you know, so like, yeah, spiritual and inspiring, but just really it they just spoke straight to my heart. And and I feel like I was fed by that show and and so now this right now for our time together we get to answer the same reflection question that everybody else has responded to um if you have that we put out on thursdays which is related to the topic of the show and um you can find that on our social media channels um twitter facebook instagram and respond to the question there yourself but let's you and i chat about this now and we'll bring it down to earth for ourselves, great. Um, so here's the reflection question of the week: What Curtis Childs is a spiritual tool you use often? Okay, yeah, yeah. Of course, I use
1: spiritual <laughs> tools often. Yeah, <laughs> Damn, man, I just use one. Where's what? It should be on the table here somewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean the, the the influence of heaven and hell on our mind is a tool mm. that I use permanently because even though it's yeah. difficult often to uh, tools, just cause you have them doesn't mean you can do what they're designed to do. We had a mm. uh, lawn mower that I wanted to fix. So we had ordered this. It's really this amazing saga of we had, I, I have like a little real mower, like a push powered mower. And so good of you. I had left abandoned it by the side of the road. Cause I had to run in cause my daughter needed some help with a like butterfly <laughs> that were hatching we had these like chrysalis seas that were coming out oh, and exciting. one butterfly like its wings weren't quite coming out and so i needed to come and try to help so i ran in to help her and i came oh. back and someone had trash picked our mower no. they had they had stolen it but they thought they weren't stealing it i'm pretty sure and it was gone we really needed it we right. just gotten it sharpened so then we were like okay we'll oh, order freshly a- sharpened i know we, we will order another one they're not free but we ordered one yes. and then when it came it was Bent. There was a piece in it that was busted. And I think it had busted during shipping because the box was all messed up. And so oh, so then man. there we were. And we said, okay, we got to order a piece to replace that. And ordered it. And they, and I gave me a tracking number and I waited for it to get closer. And they delivered it to the wrong state. So we didn't get um, it. And so then we ordered it again. Meanwhile,
0: your grass is like higher than your daughter it at was, this point. It was
1: bad. We still have... <laughs> we still just... We Okay, we just live behind a field. Um, so then the... The, that part finally came and I couldn't get the old part off because I had the tool but oh. the bolt was just so stuck on there that it couldn't come off but but I figured <laughs> out that I could bend the bent part back into shape but the point is just because you have a tool doesn't mean you can really do the task with the tool you're not doing the task without the tool so the, t- the heaven and hell being in your mind I try to whenever there's negativity in my mind I just try to say look this is hell and this is Something that the, the point of it is to resist and use the word against this. And that is something mm-hmm. that, again, there's times when I get overwhelmed. It's just really difficult to do that. But uh, overall, it's had a, just an uh, immeasurable impact on my, how I treat my consciousness. And I, I, I said, you couldn't find a day on the calendar when I'm not remembering the, that tool.
0: Mm, that's great. And I love that it's so true that, you know, just because you have a spiritual tool doesn't mean it's a functional one necessarily. So that's what's so nice to hear from you and to hear from our listeners who are responding to this question to to see what are the spiritual tools that really work for people, oh, right? you know, that, that actually are helping, that so good that they find themselves coming back to them again and again, you know, and that's, yeah, that's a good one, um, recognizing that influence. And... Let's see, for, for me, um, there's so many. I think it's interesting that I definitely go through phases where there's like one of them makes it to the top of the bag and that's the one I'm grabbing all the time, right. you know, and, and then there's a lot of other ones in the bag that, that I used to use all the time and I don't need more or something. Um, and, and a simple one that is kind of so basic but it's really great is uh, pausing um, and, right. and it takes some spiritual muscle to pause, and I remember uh many years ago hearing a great talk by somebody who was talking about i think there was a book about the seven sacred pauses of the day um and 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 sort of so this idea of a sacred pause and it's taken different forms in my life at different times, but it's definitely one that I come back to often, and right now it's really just it's amazing how. You know, like if you're in, if the current is moving, it can feel so like it's when you stop that you feel that pressure. You know, there's so much pressure to keep going with the current. But when I really pause and take time to uh, uh, breathe, then it, it it interrupts the the endless mind chatter of the thoughts that are always going through my head. And then that actually frees me up to see my situation in, in literally a new spiritual light, you know, in a new light. And... And can um, and that's just it's such a relief to realize that it's not exactly the way your mind chatter is telling you life is, you know, like that there are actually oper- perspectives and different ways of looking at things that that you're maybe not seeing, and you would just maybe keep being carried along in that current, but a pause can can uh, interrupt that and and open up new possibilities. So so important. Yep. I look forward to reading other people's responses if any new ones come in and if you want to hear what other people have said you can find us also not only social media but uh the community tab on the youtube channel itself and we'll have a new one for you next week on thursday as well and so now looking forward to this next week's content we are continuing with the near-death experience subject and monday's show is called the framework behind all near-death experiences, and I'd love to hear a little uh, sneak peek from you about that, Curtis. Just in terms of uh, any any you know lasting thought that you have from working on that show or or your experience in creating it.
1: Yeah, the potential for a joyful pairing between Swedenborg and the modern near-death phenomenon is totally unlimited because. As we know, the the nutrition content of what Swedenborg wrote is without limit, and it is mm-hmm. just phenomenal material. The real knock you can have on it is, well, it's from some weird guy a long time ago, and who? why would you just believe something he says? Like Once you get into the ideas, it all clicks yep. and it says, to pair that with this totally widespread grassroots, Phenomenon of the near-death experience where people are just, you just, they're whack-a-mole. You couldn't get rid of them all. And it's obviously <laughs> yes. alive and isn't doesn't have an agenda and it's something that doesn't depend on some appeal to th- authority in the past. Getting those two things together, which they have a natural inclination to do, absolutely can open up the floodgates, I think, um, between us and the other side. So I love any bit of effort to go in that direction. And so for this episode, we ha- found this uh, popular popular article online by PMH Atwater on the IANS website, and w- it was a, a different accounts of near-death experiences, and we went in there confidently knowing that you're going to find an explanation in Swedenborg for the phenomena in near-death experiences. So we, we dug into that, mm, and we gave mm-hmm. some framework, and I've even had people in the near-death experience community you say that Swedenborg you know, gave them the necessary backstory to why their experiences were like they were. So we yeah. got to dig into that interview, PMH Atwater, who she was awesome. I we, we called her up and it was just a short little interview. But as soon as we asked the question, she just came alive and gave this really animated yet focused answer that I think it'll be joyful for everyone to watch.
0: Yeah. And I feel like as somebody who's grown up with these ideas, it's so fun to get to uh, share them with other people and get to enjoy that, the... Um, connections that are made, like you say, even to the details of people's near-death experiences, you know, it the, it just makes sense when you understand this framework, and it's really cool to see that to get a sense of how they are all giving us this constellation of what of what the spiritual world really is like. So,
1: and that's the knock on spiritual experiences in general is they're arbitrary. And people just say things, and they sound nice, but there's no system behind it, whereas the physical, physical world is so regimented, and we can boil it down through scientific observation into systems, so it seems real, and the spiritual experiences seem like fantasy, because they don't seem to adhere to any permanent guidelines, but we just didn't know the guidelines. It's back like before you knew about physics and you just saw all these things fall, but you didn't realize there's an order to yes. it. Swedenborg can start to let us unlock that order. And then you don't have these two worlds, the physical and the world of spiritual experiences that seem to be you know, cut from different cloths. You can start to see, oh, these do behave in the same way. They do each have... different sets of rules but consistent rules in each that do parallel each other and that everything you can boil it down to principles there too
0: that's great and so to come along this journey with us and learn about this framework watch our show on monday night or monday afternoon at three o'clock eastern time well thanks so much for chatting curtis and we'll catch back up with you at the end of the show for where swedenborg was this week in history all right I never know what to call this section. I want to come up with a name. I don't know what the name should be.
2: I know. I, to myself, I just call it the NCE Corner, but I think there are other things called that. I don't know. You know. I
0: know. And I don't want it to be that you're in the corner, you know?
2: Right. You deserve to be in the center.
0: <laughs> hey, Jonathan. Thanks for being here. Hey, Chelsea. And where are we? Well, we're not, we might call this the NCE Corner, but it's not a corner because the NCE is not in the corner. It's the center of the stage. It's the main event. It's this huge deal that I love so much because it's doing so much good for the world. And I'm excited to be here again with you to hear what news from the NCE. I guess that's one of the, uh, you know, Swedenborg describes spirits or angels being like, what news from earth? And I want to know what news from the NCE, uh, from the research that you do, because you're not just translating Latin into English. It's it, that, there's so much involved in that, and what's really fun is the, the context of when these Latin words were written and what was happening when that happened. So, so what do you have for us this week?
2: Well, first thing is something from our own time, which is that this coming Saturday, October 3rd, <laughs> yes. at 3 in the afternoon to 4, there'll be a, a rare live episode of Off the Left Eye on a Saturday. Usually don't have new content on a Saturday. And this is a celebration of the shorter works of 1763, this volume that's come out. It sort of was delayed by the pandemic and so forth. So here we're finally having a chance. And so Curtis has offered to interview me about the volume, about the introduction and where it sits in Swedenborg's life and all that. So that'll be very fun.
0: Great, great. So that's October 3rd, you said?
2: October 3rd, at a Saturday 3 o'clock at 3 Eastern in the afternoon. Time. Eastern time. That's right. So it hits those same demographics that we like to hit with our 3 p.m. Great. shows to, these days. So new on, noon on the West Coast and 7 Greenwich Mean Time and so on.
0: And we get to uh, celebrate the fruits of your labor of the whole NCE team with another deluxe volume out.
2: And and yeah, it's been so fun to hear from you about the seventeen sixty three So. Well, these are fun discoveries, and when we started this, we may have seen ourselves more like a translation service that you might have at the EU or something. Right, right. You're translating banking documents or something. We didn't expect to be making so many discoveries, but there's been a lot of them. Yes. And it's been such a pleasure to be able to come on the air with you and and talk about some of them. That's so great. I love it. And so this one I want to talk about this time is that I – I've known about Swedenborg all my life, and I've thought of him as this revelator, I guess, this uh, bridge between the two worlds and writing these books. Uh, it only more recently came into focus for me that he was also a one-man marketing and distribution team. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he didn't have an as, entourage. He didn't have an entourage. As far as I know, there was nobody helping him in this world. There were people helping him in the other world, but nobody in this world. Mm. And so it's interesting. I, I realized, oh, actually, there's a fair amount of information that survives from letters that he, he would write because he would write cover letters with these books that would go out. Mm. And so what is he going to do? Just picture yourself in a situation. You're a team of one, and you're trying to get this party started. <laughs> and so, okay, he's going to send books to people and write a cover letter. That's a basic technique, isn't it? Sure, yeah. To write right. a letter with the book to say, here's why, I, why I'm sending this to you. But he would do more than He somehow figured out ways to leverage that situation. Hmm. One of the things that he would do is that he would send multiple copies to one person with a cover letter and then suggest other people who could receive some of those extra copies.
0: Huh. It's like, so that was it's like the, ancient, of, the, the historical equivalent of the modern day share, you know, like, please share this. Sharing. You know.
2: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Not only sending it to you, but please share it. You know, if you like this, yeah. share Like and it. share. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so he was doing something along those lines. And I've been very interested that he seemed to have a great respect for people's freedom Hmm. uh, in what he sent out. He would tell people who else he had sent copies to. Oh, I love that. And sometimes he would say people are reacting positively to it. That doesn't mean you have to, you know, kind of thing, but is implied. But but he would say, this is how it's being received elsewhere. And he would say, he would send them to friend and foe alike, as they say. In other words, these, these were not people who were sort of guaranteed already in his, uh, you know, like and subscribe group or something. Yeah. He, he would send them out and he would suggest that as these copies were being distributed... He wouldn't tell you, you know, a lot of things nowadays seem to tell us they want us to say, Well, don't you really like it? Don't don't you want to give it five stars or don't don't you want to rate this and and <laughs> Or we'll he, even he never... give
0: you something if you give us a positive review, you know, like That's right. rewarding people
2: to just make it look good. Even though he cared tremendously about the outcome, he didn't do that. He just would <laughs> send it out and say Uh, knowing that so-and-so is a member of this council or that committee, he would say, could you just express your opinion of it? Hmm. Whatever that is. Yes. You know, like no attempt to control whether you liked it or you didn't like it, but just to say, could you do me a favor? They didn't have to, again, leaving people in freedom, but uh, it would be a favor to me if you cared to, express your opinion of it in this group or I'll send you 10 copies you send 8 of them out to other people and invite them to express their opinion of it Hmm. and uh, so that was such an interesting way of trying to get something going that just it didn't matter whether you liked it or not it seems that just having conversation going on about it is going to be good overall
0: I love I I have two quick thoughts and one is that that's been the case for off the left eye, you know, ever since I've, you know, since the early days is just no matter whether we got likes or dislikes, it meant the same for our exposure, you know? So like, we really just wanted people to engage with our content because we knew it would just help get it out there further into, into the world. And so, uh, you know, even, even a bad, Uh, negative response from somebody is still getting the word out and so I love that that was true for Swedenborg as well and and then the other thing is that it's a principle from Swedenborg that I from his writings that I've drawn is is how that's how the truth comes about is when you let people freely discuss it you know and that it's not about who's right or wrong it's just let's digest these ideas and the truth is going to manifest itself to us, you know, through, through the work of freely engaging. So,
2: so true. And so his, he's, he's distributing these works and inviting engagement, but not trying to control the conversation.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, Just everybody is their own love. Everybody is their own understanding. So let people talk about it and air it and debate you know, as they wish. That's great. I also would love to read to you, if I can, a paragraph from the appendix in this introduction because I was astonished at who, as a one-man team, who was kind of busy. He was a member of the government, (laughs) you know, uh, and so that kept him busy. And he was also writing all these books indefatigably, traveling abroad, publishing them, indexing them, cross-referencing them, To an incredible degree. I think one work, some little factoid in my head, is that in Revelation Unveiled, which has also traditionally been titled Apocalypse Revealed, there are 2,493 internal cross references in that book. And it's only like 600 odd pages long in the first edition. So there are like five cross-references on every, you know, four or something. some insane amount of cross-referencing. It's amazing. So that wasn't enough. He's also going to be the distribution person. So these are the people who we know. We don't know everything at all because he didn't keep a, a, you know, a list or something, a spreadsheet.
0: Right. And haven't you said he burned his letters, right? Like we just don't have... A lot of his correspondence. There's a lot
2: we don't know. It's absolutely true. And so this is what we do know, is that the known targets of Swedenborg's distribution fall across a wide range of individuals and institutions, including monarchs and members of the royal family, the royal court, members of the Privy Council, secretaries of state, senators, ambassadors, a duke, nobleman, and a burgomaster, which was um, like a mayor— Hmm. A Hmm. cardinal—and hello, cardinals are Roman Catholics, (laughs) not Protestant, you know—bishops, a dean, university theologians and lectors, clergymen qualified for a more than ordinary station, preachers and priests of all sects, including Roman Catholics, Hmm. all the priests and professors in the Netherlands, the (laughs) foremost priests in Germany, merchants, businessmen, and bankers— universities and academies, royal and learned societies, and libraries. Wow. And when you think about just the libraries, how many people can contact a book, you know, it it has a multiplier effect. Yes. And there's one last sentence here. And these people and institutions were scattered over a broad area of Western Europe. We have evidence of his distributing to Sweden, Denmark, Poland, Germany, the Netherlands, Britain— france spain and russia and that was a time when the world was a lot larger so to speak than it is now i mean you know just the mail to go to all those places uh, right it, it wasn't instantaneous like email
0: and having connections with people in all those places
2: knowing people yeah who do you know in spain and send them something to distribute something to others there it's it's quite astonishing to see how much energy and passion he put in and yet at the same time respecting people's freedom to respond as their heart and mind saw fit. That is so cool. And some of these people had a professional obligation to dislike what he wrote. Yes. <laughs> it posed a threat to the not only the the church but the the governmental structure, which was based on that church, the church and state were one. Yes. In a lot of these countries, and and. Um,
0: and he wanted to get a conversation started.
2: And he he succeeded, and yeah. it was an uphill battle, but he he really did succeed. So it's cool to just know about that, and to me, it fits well with off the left eye, which is just reaching people. Uh, I imagine he would be happy about what's going on.
0: Yeah, we get to, we get to keep carrying on, carrying that torch and continuing to spread and spur conversation. And, and again, in the same uh, way, in terms of, we just, just think about it, you know, to try these ideas on for size. And it's just so fun to see, to have people engaging and getting to think about the ideas. And um, so that's, that's awesome. And I'm excited that people will get to Engage in the conversation more live with you and Curtis on October third. So fun! So that will be Coming great. Right up. Mark it on your calendars. And and right now, how about you mark seventeen forty four on your calendar, Jonathan? Because it's where we're going next for where Swedenborg was this week in history. All right, welcome, Jonathan and Curtis, to this week's where was Swedenborg and what was he up to this week in history? Oh, yeah. I'm excited. And this is when we dip into history to get some perspective and context for, you know, Swedenborg's own spiritual development that led him to his work as a revelator, but also what that work was actually like, you know, the day to day. And and I just find it fascinating that we get, you know, just this study brings up new interesting spiritual insights, you know, to ponder as, as we're seeing his the the you know the record he left of where he was so you don't know
1: the plant if you don't know the soil you got to have this background to really understand what his writings are all about
0: yes yes exactly that puts it so well so (laughs) um so here here we go because this week in history swedenborg got some new spiritual digs Which is very exciting, and what I mean by that is Swedenborg talks about, uh, you know, our spiritual home, and and it really I wonder we'll have to we'll talk about this as we go. Is is that what Swedenborg is talking about in this in this account that he has? Um, and and uh sort of preface it, there's a little bit of a backstory that we have to go into. Um, and so for this this week we're going to um, 1744, and. In the summer of 1744 Swedenborg has this series of connected dreams and this was this like transitional year for him. If you've been listening to our the episodes in this podcast, it's the 1744 or like between 43 and 45 that things really change for Swedenborg. And so this gives us another little insight into what was going on during that time. And so first in June of 1744 on the night of the 15th he comes into this dream In like so he's he's recording his dream this is in his journal of dreams and he writes of seeing a grove of figs and there's this like moat around the grove and there's this high footbridge and he sees off in the distance across the footbridge this beautiful palace in the distance and he has this longing to go take lodging in one of the wings of the palace and specifically one that overlooks this lovely fig grove that he's in and even in the dream he's like oh I knew which window like that he wanted like that's the room that I'd like to have he says like he has this sweet longing and and that's the first recording of this dream of this palace and as in in retrospect
2: to think about somebody who's about to have this spiritual explosive awakening. Yeah. How beautiful is it that there's a moat and then there's this kind of bridge over it. Yes. You know, and this play. So he's thinking about it. Will he go over and then look back from there to this beautiful grove of figs? Anyway, I love the imagery of, it seems to represent his, his spiritual awakening in some way.
0: So then that was the 15th. Just a few days later on the night of the 20th, he, I guess he's re-entering the same dream. You know, he sort of picks up where he left off and he learns that there's some deliberation going on about whether he should be admitted to the community of this palace, whether to like the society or maybe be put on one of their councils or something. And, and so it's, it's not just a palace, but there's people living there and of all people, his father comes out of the palace and meets him and first compliments him on his small work on Providence that he had written, some pamphlet. I don't actually know which one he's referencing there. Um, and, And sort of the dream shifts in the way dreams often do, but Swedenborg gets this strong sense that he's not yet prepared for entrance to this new residence. You know, so he still wants to go live there and I guess his interest started some deliberation and now uh, he's sort of, he has some connection to it. His dad is there, but he's not yet prepared.
2: And it seems like he doesn't yet understand that this is actually, I mean, my reading of it is that it's actually a community in the spiritual world Yeah, that he's seeing represented as this palace. And his father had died nine years earlier in 1735, if I have that date right. right. And so he's his his father lives there and comes out and talks to him. And yet, to Swedenborg, I think it still seems like a dream. Yes. And the other thing that's striking to me is that Swedenborg didn't actually apply like we don't know that he applied. Yeah. All that he did was he wanted it, yeah. And that seemed to fill out his paperwork. <laughs> And they start deliberating about it, you know, it's interesting.
1: Put your email address in and they try to already check the boxes to say, don't you want emails from us? It's like, oh, you like the way that window looks? Well, we've started your application for you. And this (laughs) is a great example of the dynamic life that our spirit has and its impact on how life is going here. Because as we know, Swedenborg was on the precipice of this huge spiritual publishing phase, this, this defining era of his life. and in preparation for that, or in conjunction with it, his spirit went and getting ready to go live somewhere new, and that—that that, I'm sure is what allowed for him to have the mindset that allowed him to write all this stuff. So our spirits, we're not—it's not like oh we're all so obsessed with Swedenborg but Swedenborg is this shining clear prism that allows us to see how God operates and so the same kind of stuff is happening in our lives but Swedenborg is just so we know the past and future in his life yeah. and they're so overt the way the spiritual world could communicate with him and he was so meticulous in recording that you get this full service picture of how the actual behind the scenes stuff in our life is happening
0: Yes. And I love that for him, it is just playing out in real time. You know, we have the privilege of getting to see the whole story, but it's true what Jonathan says that we can be reading it, that this is a real like spiritual experience that he's having, where he is actually interacting with a spiritual community in heaven. Um, But he, at the end of each of these accounts, he kind of writes down, well, this is probably what this dream means. You know, he's sort of breaking it down in terms of dream interpretation But I think even for him, it it kind of dawns on him this is more than just a dream, and uh, he
2: sees it as about his writing, you know, what he's publishing. Uh, But you're right; I think it's starting to break through. Yes,
0: and so and here's some things that might help it break through. So he just a couple days after this now dream, we're still in June. It's on the twenty fourth that he has that incident with the fly (laughs) it's like
2: (laughs) yeah we talked about that didn't we talk about the incident incident. it's always around somewhere (laughs) so the fly incident happened after his sort of heart application that he didn't realize he had made (laughs) started to be discussed by the group yes It's so amazing and interesting that, as you say, that it was a discussion about whether he should be admitted to the society as a whole or maybe just be on this committee or that committee, you know, a council or something. And that he
0: wasn't yet prepared and yet these kind of like watershed moments happen in the next few weeks for him where the incident with the fly, if people haven't heard, but you can hear by listening to our First Taste episode, it was the first time Swedenborg had a wakeful spiritual representative, like representation appear before him, which in this case was in the form of a fly. And so it sort of took the spiritual world of his dreams into his waking life. Um,
2: While he's actually writing, like he's sitting up, he's doing stuff, you know, but he realizes I don't think that's a physical fly. Yeah. So that's like, you know, somehow he knows something's, wait, what's going on? And
0: that's one, you know, tipping point. And then... And then it's a couple weeks later in July, he's having other dreams, but then another dream comes up where he, it touches back into this palace situation and um, and he learns that there's been further deliberation happening. Like it, it's continued, which is like, uh, it wasn't just a one-off that this this deliberation time is is taking some time, spiritual, spiritually speaking. Um,
2: I know you can have sort of repeated dreams and stuff like that, but... I've never had repeated dreams that were this coherent uh, yeah. <laughs> that there's still deliberations going on weeks yeah. later. I, I don't know. It's It seems pretty time anchored somehow.
0: And it's not, it's usually not, usually I'm the one that's still thinking about it, not these other characters in my dream still have work to be done, you
2: know? Right. <laughs>
0: and And so then, here we are this week in history in 1744 on the night of September 29th. So that was that last deliberation sense was in July. And now we're here at the end of September. And this was, we're talking the very next week after last week's inside off the left eye episode, where we discussed um, when Swedenborg first learned that spirits can read thoughts when he had this spirit address him, you know, during the day when he was awake and, in such a way that he knew this, there's a spirit that's talking to me and he knows what I'm thinking. Um, it's amazing. And so it's a week after that on September 29th. And this, this shift happens and I'll let him tell it and I'll read uh, journal of dreams number 243, uh, which is how he just numbered his paragraphs. He says, or he wrote, I beheld the gable end of the most beautiful palace that anyone could see. And the midst of it was shining like the sun, which is something he has seen this palace before, but this time it's really shining. Um, And he writes, I was told that it has been resolved in the society that I was to become a member as it were an immortal, which no one had ever been before unless he had died and lived again. Others said that there were several in that state afterwards. Somebody said that he would pay me a visit at 10 o'clock, but he did not know where I lived. I replied that, as it then seemed to me, I lived in the gable end of that palace, which signified that the things which I then, with the help of God, had written concerning forms were of such a nature that they would carry me still further and to see things which are still more glorious. So, uh... More glorious in ways than Swedenborg maybe could even anticipate. Um, (laughs) Because again, there he is at the end, taking this experience he had and saying, this is what it means. But at the same time, having this dawning awakening of like, wait, where do I live? I live there.
1: (laughs) It's poking through into the real spiritual world that he comes to know and describe, even if he doesn't recognize it yet. Because here you have a society of what seemed like angels in heaven and him Predetermined to a specific room that he just feels this attachment to. There's correspondences all over the place, but yet, yes. while it seems like oh, the God is flowing through everything, these angels in this society are needing to use their autonomy to debate as to whether he should be let in, even though Providence right. is really the <laughs> undercurrent there. So it's this balance that he goes on to describe in detail about the as of self and, and the appearance, and then that that um yeah that there's this whole hey, you're the only one like this. No, there's there's other people like this. Even there, there's not this <laughs> yes. forced unanimity, even though the, the the wisdom's not all the same, even though they're congruent in love. So I just, it seems to me like he's meeting that spiritual world before he even
2: recognizes it cleanly. Yeah. If he was trying to have sort of self-flattering experiences or her, her something, oh, it, it's... Why would you have people debate for three and a half months? Yes. You know, it, it it just seems amazing to me that there was some debate going on, uh, and it took that long to resolve it. Yeah. it. it was it was a big deal. It wasn't a simple thing, and uh, very interesting also that right there, as you say, Curtis, there there were different there were other people who had also been through that experience. I've wondered whether somebody who hadn't been there that long, like maybe even his father said, well, this is quite unique. There was one person who had died and came back to life, which sounds like a near-death experience, who was part of that society. And we know that people who have NDEs often feel more connected to the spiritual world after that experience. But then maybe it's old timers who say, oh, there have been several (laughs) others, you know, like this has happened over time, but it's still special when it happens. I'm also thinking about that grove of figs that he said was so beautiful and later he talks about the meaning of figs that they are good works they're just on the outermost level just being useful serving people Hmm. and this is what was missing from theology at that time you know it wasn't didn't have its rightful place in people's thinking. It had been important to his father, who's there living in that well, group. So fascinating. You know? And so it's kind of cool that you're sort of, I, think, I picture it being like a spiritual palace, but you're looking from there to doing useful things in the world. Mm. Because when he started, he was on the side of the figs, yes. like the palace was over there, but he's in the same place with these, this beautiful garden of figs.
0: And that's i it's so interesting because i do think that that's what they're kind of figuring out is like wait a second this guy hasn't died yet but we want to let him become a member in our you know in this spiritual community like a conscious member can we even do that you know it seems like people are like has this is this allowed what are the rules you know or something because it's like he's to become as it were an immortal even though he's not yet died you know he's still going to be living in that fig grove Or, you know, go into the fig grove regularly, even if he has this spiritual residence in this palace.
2: And I love that someone um, wants to meet with him. Yes, he gets busy right away. And now he finally has an address. (laughs) Like he realizes, oh, wait, yeah, I can tell you where to go. (laughs) I'm in your world. I now have digs there.
0: Oh, it's so, so interesting. So I just love this story. And it's been so fun to get to unfold it for people with with you both so thank you curtis and jonathan
2: yeah i wouldn't miss it so fun chelsea
0: yep it is always a pleasure to talk to you both and i'm chelsea odner and we'll be here with you next week inside off the left eye i hope you enjoyed this week's episode of inside off the left eye please consider letting us know what you think by rating us on apple podcasts and leaving a review when you do, it broadens the reach of this show and all our offerings at Off the Left Eye. To become part of the core group of people who sustain what we do here at Off the Left Eye, go to otle.cosvox.com to support our work with a donation. But you know, having you there listening is a real form of support in and of itself, so I mean it when I say, thank you for listening.